Let us pray for our catechumens. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean. Almighty and everlasting God, who dost continually enrich thy church with a new offspring, increase the faith and understanding of our catechumens, that they, being born again in the water of baptism, may be numbered again, uh, may be numbered among the sons of thine adoption through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay, so this week we are on B to B sixty six, creation and fall, and this is going to be a, the first of a three class series. So y'all will be lucky because you got the first part of it. <laughs> so let's go with Steve. Hey everybody, this is Steve, and you've probably heard people call Jesus Christ our Savior. To understand what exactly that means, we need to understand what exactly Christ saved us from. And we need to start at the beginning. The fall of Adam and Eve is a really important part of this question. But it's often misunderstood, and that misunderstanding can affect how we see ourselves, and God, and our salvation. People often think of the fall in terms of rule and sin, more specifically, original sin. So in this model, God created Adam and Eve, he put them in the Garden of Eden, the paradise, and he gave them a rule. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But, as we all know, Adam and Eve ate, and according to this view, God got angry and he punished them. He kicked them out of paradise and punished them with death. Then, according to this view, we inherit this guilt and can't pay it off, which is why Christ has to die on the cross to pay with his blood and pain for our crimes. Some say Christ paid this debt to Satan. Others that he paid it to God the Father. Either way, this is not how Orthodox Christians see things. We can find the creation of the world described in the book of Genesis. God creates the heavens and the earth, the water, the mountains, everything. And each time he makes something, he says that it is good. The same happened when God created humanity. He said it is good. But there's a twist with humanity. Part of what makes us who we are is our freedom, our ability to choose. God didn't make us mortal, doomed to die. And he didn't make us immortal, totally self-sufficient on our own. Instead, he gave us the choice to either move closer to God, a source of life, or move away from God, and find death. This was all summed up in the commandments not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. St. Irenaeus points out that Adam and Eve were like children, still new to this whole living thing, and that they needed a reminder that they weren't self-sufficient. So God set forth this one commandment, not with a punishment, but with a warning. He didn't say, if you eat of the tree, I will kill you. What he said was, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. It's kind of like when parents tell a kid not to touch a hot stove. The parents aren't threatening to burn the kid, they're trying to prevent the kid from being burnt. But little kids aren't always so sensible. And neither were Adam and Eve. They ate the fruit, thinking they would give them knowledge apart from God. When God confronted them about it, Eve blamed the serpent. And Adam blamed Eve and God. In the fall, we don't simply see the breaking of a rule and the punishment that follows. We see the breaking of communion and relationship. Adam and Eve being separated from each other, and humanity being separated from God. Though we were created for immortality, we weren't created immortal. And cutting ourselves off from God affected us. It's like when you pluck a branch off a tree. It goes from green and vibrant and alive to brown and dry dead. So it's not that we're somehow guilty of Adam and Eve's sin. It's that we've inherited the sick and broken humanity and the world that they created for themselves. As St. Cyril of Alexandria put it, our nature then became diseased by sin 
through the disobedience of one, that is, of Adam. Thus all were made sinners, not by being co-transgressors with Adam, something they never were, but by being of his nature. Human nature fell ill in Adam. This illness is a sort of captivity. As Father John Romanides puts it in the ancestral sin, our separation from God brought death into the world. This led to fear and anxiety and insecurity, to a biological existence driven by the desire to stay alive rather than to live for others. Where our desire isn't for God, but for pleasures, as we self-medicate to distract ourselves from our inner emptiness, so that what we call life isn't really life at all, but something nasty, brutish, and short. Even worse, our sin has consequences for the world, because we live in the world, and God put the world in our care. So things are upended both internally and externally, leading to an ever-deepening cycle of pain, sin, and death. It is for this reason that man finds pain while searching for pleasure, and death while searching for life. Yet no matter how terrible things might get, there's hope. And that starts with a proper understanding of creation and the fall. Because God made us for eternal life with Him, which is only something we can receive by being united with Him. He is not the source of our punishments. He is not the source of death. He made us for immortality. And next week, we'll talk about how He did it. How He saved us from death. So let's be the bee. And see what the fall is really all about. Be the bee and live orthodoxy. Remember to like and subscribe. I'll see you all next week. Okay. So, creation and fall. There's a lot of stuff to cover in here, uh, and it's somewhat, it's all, it's a lot of concepts to cover, okay? Um, first off, he talks about when we call God Savior. What does that mean? From, the one who saves. The one who saves, but what is he saving us from? Death. Sin and death. Sin and death, okay. So, um... It's interesting, we keep coming back to a model where, okay, so the Greek for Savior is soter, right? It means Savior, okay? But soteria, you add an IA on the end. Um, one of the meanings of that, other than salvation, is health, okay? Soteria is health. So salvation is really... A restoring of us to health, right? And one of the things he talked about in there is human nature fell ill by Adam. Our, our model in orthodoxy is never about rule and punishment, okay? Um, we have canon law, for example. It's not there as rules by which somebody is going to be punished, okay? Canon law is there as rules that help restore us to health, okay? And what is our definition of health in this case? Life what? in Christ. Life in Christ, communion with God, right? Okay, so this week, this, this week, and then two, uh, not next week, but two more classes after that, 
are really about, we call it soteriology. Okay? Biology like is the is the study of life, right? Anything ology is the study of. Soteriology is the study of salvation. How are we saved? What does it mean to be saved? Okay, what are we being saved from? So, um, first off, let's talk about Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden. We always use that, we always, we always talk about Adam, Eve, and the Garden of Eden. Um, do we believe that Adam and Eve were literal persons living in a literal garden that actually existed? Yes. Okay. Yes. Some people do. Some people don't. Okay. Some people, because keep in mind, when we're dealing with the story of Adam and Eve, it's not like we're reading a newspaper article. Right? If you look on the, the hallway out here... <coughs> Um, it shows that, that the beginnings of human history were about 3,000 years before Christ. Okay? If you, if you even take the word of, there was a, a, an English bishop who calculated based on all the time spans in the Old Testament and said the world was 5,500 years old. Right? That's still 2,500 years before, basically, or even 1,500 years before, the beginning of written history, all right? So the story of Adam and Eve, if they were factual, came down not through writing, but through oral tradition, okay? Now, one of the things that is difficult with oral tradition is, have you ever played the telephone game? You know, if we were to start at this end of the room and I were to whisper something in her ear, by the time it got down to here, it would be something different, right? So oral tradition, um, for example, and this is a recent example. Um, there were some biologists in Africa, and they had been told, they were in this one section of jungle, and they had been told about a monster that lived in the jungle. Okay, and it had a name, right? And everyone was afraid of this monster. And they couldn't figure out what this monster was. And finally, they found a villager and they showed him a picture and said, Is this the monster? He's like, Yeah, that's the monster. It was a rhino. <laughs> it was, but, but the people in the jungle didn't know that because this rhino was out of its normal range. Right? And so they didn't know it was a rhino. They, they thought it was a monster. And they knew if they approached it, it got mad and charged them and might have killed them. Right? And a big horn on the front. I mean, that's a monster. Okay? So this is part of the problem with oral tradition. Now, obviously scripture is inspired by God. Right? So when we view the story of Adam and Eve, there are those who believe that Adam and Eve were two literal persons who lived in a literal garden. Okay? There are also those who believe that, that the, fa the, the fathers of the church and the, or, or the fathers of the Old Testament, you know, there are also those who say that the first five books were all written by Moses. Okay? Textual analysis shows us that perhaps some of them were written as late as the return from Babylon, right? And then post, like predated, you know, post dated as it were. Um, 
So the question then becomes not whether or not we believe in Adam and Eve or the actual Garden of Eden as literal places. Is it necessary that we believe in Adam and Eve for our salvation? Okay? There are things in the church, like especially in the Eastern Church, we leave as mysteries. Okay? Do we have any way to prove whether or not Adam and Eve actually existed as human beings? No, not really. Okay? Does it really matter for our salvation? Is this a story about two literal people, or is this a story about when man became sentient and first took on what we now have as human nature, the brokenness of that human nature? Is this a story to, to illustrate that? Is this an allegory? Either way, it's a good story, and it teaches us. Therefore, we keep it in the Bible, and we follow it, and we talk about it, right? Adam and Eve, yes. Genetic testing has shown everybody comes from one woman. There is one woman who is the, the genetic Eve based on mitochondrial DNA. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. that does not, that's everybody who is currently living in the world. That does not say that she was the first woman. It just says, because there might have been another one living next to her, but all those people died out. Mm -hmm. Right? But you're right, there is a genetic Eve. Right, Absolutely. just as there, there, there must be a genetic Adam too, right? But genetic Eve and genetic Adam aren't necessarily biblical Eve and biblical Adam. Now, one of the interesting things I want to point out is this, and this just fascinates me. Um, the story of Adam and Eve is tied directly into the story of. The crucifixion. Y'all know how? Because after the after they fall, God promises. Well, it's it's more literal than that. Okay, in the Bible, we are told that that Jesus was crucified. They took him to the place of Golgotha, which is the place of the skull. Okay, and I want to show you that it's in. The icon here. You see down at the bottom, this is the skull. There's a skull and bones right down here. Yeah. Okay? You'll see that in every icon of the crucifixion. Why is that? Okay? Golgotha is the transliteration in Greek of a, an Aramaic word, Golgotha. That means place of the skull. Okay? Now, the hill on which Jesus was crucified looks like a skull cap, okay? And that's one reason they thought maybe it was named that, right? But there's another reason, and I'm just going to read this to you. Um, the, uh, in Greek, the name for place of a skull is, is um, no, no, it's scrolled, is craniotopos, place, skull place, right? Of the skull place. In Latin, that becomes caldaria locus. Okay, and it's from that Calvarie locus we get the word Calvary. Okay, so the word Calvary in English is basically the same as Golgotha in Greek. It means place of the skull, and it comes, but the Calvary comes from the Latin, where the, the Golgotha is Greek from the Aramaic. 
Okay? Now, and I'm going to read this to you. In some Christian and Jewish traditions, the name Golgotha refers to the location of the skull of Adam. So the skull in this picture, that's Adam. A common version states that Shem, who was Shem? The son of Noah. Noah. And Melchizedek traveled to the resting place of Noah's ark, retrieved the body of Adam from it, and were led by angels to Golgotha, described as a skull-shaped hill at the center of the earth. Jerusalem was the center of the earth. In fact, it's been referred to as the navel of the earth. Where also the serpent's head had been crushed following the fall of man. So the reason Jesus was crucified here was this was the very spot, according to some traditions, on which man fell. So he could only be raised up again through the crucifixion and resurrection at the place that he fell which was the grave of Adam, which was the place where the serpent's head had been crushed after the fall of man. So anytime you see this skull in here, now you know what it's for, right? It's supposed to be the burial place of Adam. Okay? I just found that fascinating. Where was it you're reading from? Where was that from? Wikipedia. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's my best friend. I mean, especially at 11 o'clock at night when I'm preparing. Yeah, I, I totally missed that in the Bible with them taking Adam's remains on the ark. <laughs> okay. Um, and again, oral tradition. I was going to say, I was gonna, if, you There's, it, if you believe it literally and not figuratively. Yeah. Yeah. Now, keep in mind also that the history of Genesis, and one of the, this is one point that uh, there's an Orthodox priest in England he makes this point. Um, he that that Genesis is telescoped in time, right? It's only the major events. So if you try to take and add up people's lifespans, it's not really going to work because there's this huge span of, of you know. Of time in there. So, but again, you know, in, in the, for example, we just celebrated here a few weeks ago the, the Dormition, right? The Dormition is not in Scripture. Now, it's in some of the, the um, apocryphal writings, right? But it is part of our tradition, okay? And that's, that's an important thing to consider. We have tradition with a capital T, right? Tradition, big capital T. All right. Now, as when I was an Anglican, when we were Episcopalians, we were th we were taught that there was a big, there was a triangle to to consider stuff. It was called the three-legged stool. All right. So you had, and it didn't. I'm going to skip. It's scripture, tradition. And reason. And any theological problem you would look at, you would look at from this three-legged stool. Right? You'd consider it scripturally, you'd consider it from the tradition of the church, and you'd consider it from, from a reasonable point of view. Okay? Is this how we as Orthodox consider things? No. Why? Because for us... 
there is the tradition of the church. Right? Which not only includes after Christ, but before Christ. Right? For, that's why in the Orthodox Church, for example, we have, um, well, two churches close to us. One in Austin and one in, in, uh, in Oklahoma City. We have St. Elijah in Oklahoma City and St. Elias in, in Austin. They're named after Old Testament figures, but we call them saints. Right? So for us, Scripture is part of an important, in fact, the most important part of the tradition of the church. Okay? We don't view Scripture over here as one thing and the tradition of the church as another thing. We have the tradition of the church, and that includes Scripture. Okay? The canonical Scripture of the church. It also includes other writings from which, for example, we get the Dormition and things of that nature. Okay? When Paul said all tradition is keep it, keep keep all of the tradition right in your mind and, 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 and cleave to it, keep in mind, he wasn't talking about New Testament. He was talking about the Old Testament and all the oral tradition that 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 accompanied it. Okay? So um, so keep that in mind. So here's something that we want to consider, and this gets back to the question of Adam and Eve. It also gets back to the question of that we'll see that it, it also applies to when we're looking at um, original sin. And this is from Father Andrew Phillips, who I mentioned is the priest in England. He writes. Protestants lack a patristic understanding of the scriptures. That is, they do not understand the scriptures spiritually, ascetically, allegorically, poetically, but only literally. We call such an understanding fundamentalist. This explains why Darwin's theories have posed far fewer problems in both Roman Catholic and Orthodox societies than in Protestant societies. Okay, so you have Protestants who tried to take the Old Testament so literally that they calculated all the lifespans of everybody in the Old Testament and said, oh, that must be how the old the earth is, 5,500 years old. Okay, there are people out there who believe that today, okay, no matter what science comes up with, okay. We don't have that problem because we understand that some of these stories are, are written allegorically, you know, Jesus himself spoke in parables, right? So, um, so when we look at Old Testament, yes, it's good for our understanding, it's good for our knowledge, it's good for our learning, it's good for our, our digestion. But to actually believe that every single word in there is literally true is not something that's necessary for us as Orthodox Christians. Okay? So... Adam and Eve, we're going to talk about Adam and Eve, because they're in the Bible, and it's, whether or not it's literally true, it's, it's good for us to talk about them. Okay, so what happened with Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve were given one commandment, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? And what happened? They ate, right? So, this is sometimes referred to as... Original 
sin. Okay? Original sin. Now, this can be read a couple different ways. In the Orthodox Church, we read original as first. It was the first sin. Okay? Unfortunately, in the West, it's taken on the meaning of it's a sin that's embedded in our origin. Okay? So, I'm going to read a statement, and it gets to what Steve was talking about, mortality versus immortality. Okay, so here's what happened in the Garden of Eden. Everyone is, is in agreement on this. Adam and Eve were created in communion with God, lost communion with God, and the rest of humanity followed them. Okay? But what's the problem? The problem is that there are two opposing interpretations of what happened afterwards. Okay? One is... I'm going to label them east and west for convenience sake. Okay? One is... We're going to, instead of referring to it as original sin, because original sin, the phrase original sin has a very specific meaning in the West. So over here, I'm going to call it ancestral sin. I made that mistake in Sunday school once. What's that? Calling it ancestral sin. Well, this is during Clinton days, and one of the 10 year olds raised her hand and said, Does that mean you married your sister? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Father Ed Hughes one time was talking, and one of his parishioners asked him, says, um, Father, what do you think about incest? He's like, what? Incest? He's like, yeah, you know, marrying your cousin. He's like, that's not incest. That's consanguinity. You know, incest is marrying your direct relative. Consanguinity is marrying someone who's not a direct relative but too close. Right? So, yes, we must be very, we must be very specific about our terms. So, in ancestral sin, as we understand it, we inherited the consequence. The consequence of, of the sin of Adam and Eve, right? In original sin, we, in, we inherited the consequence. And the guilt. And there's a big difference. Okay? So, as Cyril of Alexandria, but if you read, for example, what the quote they gave with Cyril of Alexandria, it doesn't make sense that we inherited the guilt. He says, our nature then became diseased by sin. Again, there's that model of, of we're trying to restore our health through the disobedience of one, that is, of Adam. Thus all were made sinners, not by being co-transgressors with Adam, something they never were, but by being of his nature, human nature fell ill in Adam. Okay? So, here's the model that we kind of hew to. And this is from the OCA's website. Because I'll, I'll take from, you know, I, I, none of this is original. I'm not going to try to come up to, at you with original stuff. One might look at all this in a completely different light. Imagine, if you will, that one of your close relatives was a mass murderer. He committed many serious crimes for which he was found guilty, 
and perhaps even admitted his guilt publicly. You, as his son, his or her son or brother or cousin, may very well bear the consequences of this action. People may shy away from you or say, watch out for him, he comes from a family of mass murderers. Your name may be tainted, or you may face some other forms of discrimination as a consequence of your relative's sin. You, however, are not personally guilty of his or her sin. Okay. In our model, we're not, we don't share the guilt of Adam and Eve. In this model, unfortunately, we're all as guilty as Adam and Eve. Okay. And that, this leads to, as somebody put it, bad theology leads to bad theology. Okay, so this is rule and punishment, and this is consequence, warning and consequence, right? This model is, don't put your hand on the stove, you'll get burned, right? This is, you put your hand on the stove, therefore we're going to burn you. Okay, so... This one just means that our our human nature became ill. So we are we are we are diseased somewhat and we are trying through the church to restore that health. Health being communion with God, right? This Remember the the sermon that Deacon Ken referenced? Sinners in the hands of an angry God. God's not angry with us. God loves us, but not in this model. This model, we have to pay, okay? And that's led to some bad theology. Some of you might be more familiar with it than I am. Um, for example, um, in the Roman Catholic, in the, in the Baltimore Catechism, which was put out in the 1940s, in the Roman Catholic Church, they say, original sin, quote, comes down to us from our first parents and we are brought into the world with its guilt on our soul." Okay. Now, there are problems with this. Okay. The biggest problem being Jesus Christ became human. Right? The source of his humanity was Mary. Right? Okay. If our human nature is merely diseased and communion with God is the cure, then we have no problem over here with Christ becoming human, right? Because being God, he's already in communion with himself, and he can take on and perfect our human nature. Right? That's how he is the perfect human being. He perfected human nature in himself in the incarnation. Right? Over here is a problem. Okay? With original sin, if being human means inheriting the guilt of Adam then how did Christ become human? Right? If Christ is God, how, did, how could he become human and be guilty toward himself? Right? So, bad theology begets bad theology. We have to fix this somehow, don't we? Right? So instead of fixing it the right way, they fixed it the wrong way. They said that from the moment of her conception... The Blessed Virgin Mary was born without the stain of original sin. Right? We call this doctrine immaculate. the Immaculate Conception. 
The Immaculate Conception is a problem looking for a solution. Or is a solution looking for a problem, sorry. Right? Because if their theology about ancestral sin was correct, wouldn't have to have this. You wouldn't have to make Mary superhuman. We believe that Mary was full of grace and did not sin, but it says nothing about her human nature. All right? But in here, no, you've got to fix Mary's human nature first, because otherwise the humanity that Christ gets from her is flawed. All right? So do we believe the Immaculate Conception? No. Because we don't believe in the, in the doctrine of original sin as proposed in the West, especially Augustine, that's behind it. Okay? It's a bad model. We don't subscribe to that. Okay? Then it gets worse. Okay? This is the worst sounding piece of theology I've ever heard in terms of its title. I'm going to change another marker. This was drying out on me. Okay? And this is its actual name. Penal Substitutionary Substitutionary Atonement. Okay. Do we believe in the atonement of Christ? Yes. Okay. That was his saving act on the cross. What does this say, though? It's paying a price. It's paying a price. It is, in fact... John Calvin was a lawyer, and so everything he thought of was in terms of criminal law, right? We're all criminals, <laughs> deserving of crucifixion, but in his view, Christ went ahead and took crucifixion for us, and that's the nature of his, that's, that was his version of the nature of atonement, okay? That, that by God, there was a price to pay to an angry God, right? A debt, we always hear about the debt being paid in Christ's blood, that's, that comes from this kind of thinking. Okay? Alright, and then it gets worse, right? Because since we're all so guilty through original sin, then you get total depravity. Total depravity is the idea that without the efficacious grace of God, we can't even bring ourselves closer to God. Only by the grace of God can we be brought toward God. We can't even seek out a cure if we, if we put it in this model, right? Now, is that a belief of the Orthodox Church? Do we believe in total depravity? No. No. Why? Because, as Steve said, when God created man, what did he say? It is good. Okay? And we remain good. We remain um, in the image and likeness of God. Okay? So what do we believe in, in, as, as opposed to total depravity? We talk about um, synergy. Synergia. But I'm going to write it synergy. What is synergy? When we talk about it in orthodoxy. The energies of God. Now, synergy, well, it, it's the same root. Energy is work. But sin means, sin, S-Y-N, means together. Okay? It means that we try to work with God. Okay? 
God extends himself to us, and then he, we try to... Remember I talked about how Christ, we talked about Christ was perfect because he had both human and divine wills, but they were in perfect sync? That's what we try to do. Synergia is the process of bringing our wills into sync with that of God. Okay? And total depravity says you can't even try Total depravity says you can't even try that without God reaching out and grabbing you and, 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 and dragging you basically toward him. Okay, so we don't believe this. We don't believe this. We'll talk about next week, or at least one of these two classes. We'll believe instead of that. What is our version of the atonement? What is our what happened for us at the crucifixion and the resurrection? Um, and we sure don't, we don't need this, right? Because we don't have this. All right. God created man, he said, it is good. We're not Manichaeans where we believe all matter is evil and only spirit is good. God created the world and it is good. Okay? From this comes all kinds of thinking about, oh, well, everything created must be bad. Right? You know, we get a lot of things in here about, for example, we get, you know, sex is bad. Is sex bad? No, not between a man and a woman in the bonds of holy matrimony. Anybody know what the, the icon of Joachim and Anna looks like? They're hugging each other. Uh-huh, in front of? A doorway. Mm-mm. The temple? Mm-mm. They're bad. Oh, I haven't seen that one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're, hug they're hugging each other in front of their bed. They're the, the parents of the Blessed Virgin Mary, right? So all of these things about, oh, the world is very evil, the times are waxing light. Well, we can be very evil, and yes, there are some very evil people in the world, but innately, we are not totally depraved, okay? We don't bear the guilt of Adam and Eve, right? We're just sick. <laughs> We're just sick, and, and we need... We need to look after our health. Okay? Health being reconnecting, joining back in communion with God. Any questions? Let me make sure I covered everything. Yep, that's pretty much everything I wanted to cover. So, next, not next week, but the next class after that, we will talk about heaven and hell, is the next video, and then. There's one more after that, but this is all about what is our orthodox view of salvation, okay? Is it that we're sinners in the hands of an angry God? No. It's just, we need help, and God will help us if we let him. That's all I've got. Thank you.